Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Last week, we started a series on the Holy Spirit. And in that message, we spent quite a bit of time in the book of John. This is, as we mentioned, from 12 to 20, chapter 12 to chapter 20 in the book of John. Uh, This is the last week of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, his life on earth before he went to the cross. And he is preparing his disciples for his departure. And his emphasis, again, was that it was good for them that he was leaving because then the Holy Spirit would come. Last week was Pentecost Sunday, and we looked in Acts chapter 2 and read about the day of Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, and what happened. Go back and read that. Go back and read uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2. Go back and uh, listen to last week's message. But uh, you remember, of course, right after the Spirit poured out on them, right after this explosive sound, Sound as of a mighty rushing wind. That they began to speak in languages that they themselves did not understand. That they did not naturally know. In this case, we know that at least some of the languages that they were speaking were identifiable human languages. Because there were people there from uh, countries in that region who were there to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. And they heard all of these Galilean disciples speaking their language. Now, it's been pointed out many times over the years that this, uh, one possible interpretation of this is that this was a miracle of hearing, that no matter what these disciples were speaking, they were hearing it in their own language. And I'm not discounting, I'm not saying that could not have been part of it, but the Bible also clearly tells us before that crowd was gathered that they began to speak in other tongues. So yeah, uh, whatever languages they were speaking, maybe there was a miracle of hearing in in other languages, but you ought to remember this wasn't just 12 guys speaking in tongues. This was 120 who had been gathered, right? There were many people speaking in these tongues and many people hearing them. What um, we also, and this is super important, we read that what they were speaking were the wonderful works of God. And that then Peter addressed the crowd. It was then that Peter preached to them. And that puts to rest the notion that God had caused them to be able to speak in tongues in order to preach the gospel. They weren't preaching. They were simply praising God. They were declaring his wonderful works. Then Peter turned to the crowd and preached. Now, i got to be honest. With this message, I told you last week that I would be speaking about tongues. And uh, to be honest, I feel like I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. I'm going to go ahead and preach this, but we are going to come back to it and look at a different angle, look at tongues from a different angle. We're just not going to do it next week. There's some things I've got to go back and cover. I'd like to take this a little more slowly and uh, maybe in a different order. Uh, Where we're going to end up spending time today, obviously, is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes at length about the gifts of the Spirit, and in chapter 14, where he writes very specifically about tongues. But I also want to tell you that next week, probably, I always got to leave room, 
gotta, I would say that probably because God could take it a different direction. I don't have next week's written yet uh, by a long shot. But I think I'll be talking not about specific gifts of the Spirit, but about the Holy Spirit as a person. Um, I'm rereading an excellent book on the Holy Spirit that I have not read in many, many years. Uh, probably at least 20 years. So it's called The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit by R.A. Torrey. I don't know how many of you have read that. Uh, and, I'm, and, and I'm being reminded, especially in these early chapters, of just how important it is and just how hard it is to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not a human being, you understand. But he, had, he is no less... We tend to think, we know, okay, I understand we know. We understand what the Trinity is, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we have a much easier time picturing God as the Father and Jesus as the Son than we do the Holy Spirit as a person like that. We, we can point our fingers at, uh, say, Jehovah's Witnesses or many others probably who believe in the Holy Spirit but don't recognize the Holy Spirit as God. They don't describe personality to the Holy Spirit. They just recognize him as energy, as power, as force. And even though we know better, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I'll bet you every one of you, fairly recently in your Christian conversation, if you were talking about the Holy Spirit at least once, referred to the Holy Spirit as it. I'm sure I've done it from the pulpit. Because we just tend to think in terms not of him, but his gifts, his power. And certainly this is how he manifests himself. So I think he's pretty chill about it sometimes. But we are going to enjoy him more. And we are going to experience his presence more if we will focus on and really think about and meditate on the truth that he is God. Amen? But that's next week. Uh, I'm speaking this morning, I know, to a room full of people who already embrace this stuff, most of you, but keep in mind also there are relative newcomers uh, and a few, maybe more than a few, checking out this stuff online. And when it comes to this topic, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal or charismatic distinctives, for whatever reason, Tongues is the thing that people get hung up on far more than anything else. I'm seeing some heads nod. Does anybody just want to be bold and shake your head and say, no way? Uh, I can't think of anything over my... And I've been in the charismatic movement more or less since I was 14, 15 years old. This is what I have been steeped in. Not saying I'm an expert. I'm just saying my experience, my relatively long experience... Uh, even though I have been in the charismatic movement, charismatic churches, word of faith churches, I have moved in circles with Christians of many different stripes who have many different, they, they're on many different places of the spectrum when it comes to the Spirit and His gifts. And tongues is the bugaboo for a lot of people. It's just too weird for them to get their heads around. It's easy to make fun of. And we're going to look briefly at, at a couple reasons for that before we look at specifically what the Bible says about it. Um, have you ever had a conversation about this stuff with somebody who's from a tradition that doesn't embrace it? Or with an unbeliever who has heard of it and doesn't even consider that it's real? 
Because really, it's one thing to say in these conversations that I still believe in the present-day activity of the Holy Spirit and the legitimacy of His gifts. It's another to look somebody in the eye from a different perspective, either an unbeliever or a different tradition, and say, I speak in tongues. Because if they are a Christian who doesn't believe in speaking in tongues, then you saying you speak in tongues can be a little bit like a glass of water thrown in their face because they don't believe in it. And then you can, then you can ask them, what do you think is happening to me when I speak in tongues? Some will say, you're imagining it. You're speaking nonsense. Some would say, it's actually demonic. And then there's, of course, the world has got a completely different perspective on it. And we can sort of leave them out of the discussion uh, not because we don't care, but because, again, the starting point for all of this needs to be, if this is of God, how unbelievable is this? If I, if I can believe that Jonah uh, stayed alive in the belly of a fish for three days, if I can believe that God spoke the universe into existence, if I can believe in Noah's Ark and all these things, which I do, which I absolutely affirm, and which most of these, uh, practically every Bible-believing Christian does, what is so hard to believe about God gifting me with the ability to speak in a language I haven't learned. That's small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, isn't it? Can we at least agree on that? I know, we all agree on all this stuff, right? Um, so a couple quick things. Uh, I'm not, obviously, going to say everything there is to say about tongues this morning. And we will certainly revisit tongues in this series. But I'm hitting it today for two reasons. Number one is that it was the first charismatic manifestation experienced by those who were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And because it remains perhaps the most contentious detail of the charismatic experience for both believers and unbelievers today. Now this is further complicated by what might be considered a caricature or a stereotype of speaking in tongues. I have heard even Christian ministers who are generally on the um, cessationist side, meaning they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit at all. When they talk about tongues, they define it as ecstatic speech. How many of you have heard that, heard that phrase? Uh, a few of you, and probably a few more than raised your hand. And this is the picture they have, and I'm not, I don't think I'm being um, hyperbolic at all. I think when they picture tongues, they picture a shaking and a loss of control where it just comes out. It, 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 it's always accompanied by other physical manifestations. And tongues is something that happens to you. Now, it has probably happened to some of you like that. And that's kind of what it looks like. It kind of happened on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, but believers in the mind of when people are trying to explain this or explain it away they talk about believers entering into a state of ecstasy uncontrollably uh, uncontrollably babbling what sounds to an outsider like nonsense and uh, there are churches that still practice it this way where the whole service is kind of building to a crescendo where they are they are being sort of uh, shepherded 
or guided into a frenzy where an atmosphere is produced that's conducive to mass speaking in tongues, and that's when church really starts. And I think that's a tragic misconception when it comes to any of the gifts. And we've, uh, I guess what I mean by that, and this statement applies to all that, I think we fall into the trap, even in this room, of thinking that if something is supernatural, then it has to be spontaneous. If God didn't just make it happen in the moment, then it's not supernatural. And there is nothing in Scripture to support that. Uh, Doug, I probably should have asked your permission, but I know you'll forgive me for dragging you into this. Uh, Doug is accustomed to either bringing a word, a, 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 a prophetic word, or a, an interpretation of tongues. Uh, but how many of you would be scandalized to know that sometimes, many times, perhaps every time, he's thinking about this stuff before service? Can you find anything in Scripture that would forbid you from praying an hour before service, a day before service, Lord, give me a word to bring forth? And if he gives it to you an hour before service or the night before service, is it any less a word from the Lord? It's ridiculous to think that. And yet we think the only way it can be supernatural is if I don't know what I'm going to say until I've got the microphone in front of my mouth. Did Jesus operate like that? Was every word that came out of Jesus' mouth when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, when he prophesied to people, was it the word of God? Yes, do you think he didn't know what he was going to say when those people gathered around him? What about the miracles he did? He was asked to come perform them. When Jairus said, please come and heal my daughter, I will come and heal her. He's on his way to do a miracle, to do something supernatural. Now something a little more spontaneous happened on the way when the woman with the issue of blood grabbed him. But he, his, his days were planned out. He'd get his marching orders when? When he got up a great while before day to spend time in prayer. We've got to stop. We don't need to equate mysteriousness with supernatural. Sometimes, and this is a phrase I learned at Rama. sometimes we miss the supernatural because we are so hung up on the spectacular. Or we're looking so hard for the spectacular, and I would add the spontaneous, that we miss out on some genuinely supernatural things that God is doing in our midst. So we can approach prophecy this way, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, even the working of healings and miracles. We can approach tongues this way absolutely. And that is nailed down, I think, beyond doubt in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And we're not going to get there today, I don't think. But I want you to um, let's go back to the day of Pentecost because I grant you that the day of Pentecost looks a little different. I mean, they are there waiting in obedience to Jesus when kaboom! The sound of a mighty rushing wind, this explosive sound, uh, without apparently planning on all together speaking in tongues. All right? There was a moment when this happened, and everybody knew when it happened. Because what? They all began speaking in tongues. And this led to 
uh, the practice still goes on in many places, and I'm not saying it's anti-biblical. I think it's a little misguided of tarrying meetings. How many of you have heard of these? These used to be a lot more common when, uh, in, especially in old Pentecostal churches, where we're going to have a meeting with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and if you want the Holy Spirit, you come up here, but you're going to do like they did on the day of Pentecost. You are going to stay up here, and you're going to pray, and you're going to wait. If it takes an hour, if it takes all night, if it takes all week, you will wait until what happened to the, the disciples on the day of Pentecost happens to you. And then we will all know when you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They tarried in Jerusalem. That's why they get the tarrying meetings, because Jesus in the King James Bible says, tarry ye here until you receive the promise of the Father. Wait here. Um, here's the thing. We know that the moment that they, those disciples, were baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, because... They all started speaking in tongues. But do you notice or remember what happened? Right before it tells us they were speaking in tongues, what else, did we, what else happened? They were praying, but was there another manifestation? There appeared over each one of them divided tongues of fire. Was it actual flame, hot to the touch? I don't know, but they could see it. It was visible. Why aren't we tarrying and waiting for that? Now, it's different. I'm not saying we should. And because the danger there is, hey, since we don't see the tongues of fire anymore, we shouldn't, we shouldn't see tongues anymore. No, because we continue, we continue to see the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, praying in tongues in Scripture. On the day of Pentecost, we, see, we have this visible representation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's how they heard the noise, of the, the sound of the mighty rushing wind. They saw divided tongues of fire over each other, and then they began speaking in tongues. These things just happened. I mention this detail because uh, there are questionnaires, sermons, altar calls even, where this is the question. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? And I'm not saying that is an invalid question. The evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, this evidentiary aspect of speaking in tongues as proof of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is something I have wrestled with for years. I 100% agree that we cannot genuinely, for real, speak in tongues without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you really are speaking in tongues... That's evidence that you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. But the question is, can I be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues? And all I mean by that is, if I have struggled with speaking in tongues, does that mean I'm not filled? I don't think it's legitimate to say, I want to be filled, but I don't want to speak in tongues. I don't think that's a biblical position that you can take. So uh, understand that why that distinction is important. People say, well, can I be filled with the Spirit and not speak in tongues? If all you're asking is, I prayed to be filled with the Spirit, I desire to be filled with the Spirit, but it has never happened for me. I struggle with speaking in tongues. I believe, yes, if you have asked for and submitted to be prayed for and, and just simply asked to receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us the Father, our Father in heaven is no way going to tell us no. So you can believe you've been filled with the Spirit. But to say, I want the Holy Spirit, I just don't want tongues and I'm not going to do that, 
that is unsustainable biblically. You can say it hasn't happened for me yet, or, I, I have for, or for whatever reason I have been unable to, but you can't say I don't want that. I want the Holy Spirit, but not tongues. I think tongues should be an expectation and absolutely a desire, and I'll tell you why here. And let me, I can't go long today because of a number of things that are happening. So if I interrupt myself and, and I have to finish even the part, I'm not going to get to the whole thing anyway, but I have a stopping point in mind that I will, I will race to get to. But I have to share this first because, uh, and I'm sure I've shared it before, but I've got a reputation in this town. I've got a reputation in this church for being a little bit resistant to some of the more exuberant manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Mike and I have, have come to blows about this before. No, we haven't. We are totally cool with each other. But because I have shared with you, maybe a little too frankly, I don't think so and I don't care, uh, my, the fact that I have never been slain in the Spirit. I mean, I told you that I shared that one place and I heard an audible gasp. Like, what are you doing in a charismatic pulpit if you've never fallen down under the power? That was what that gasp was saying. I have never fallen, I've never experienced what I would call genuine drunkenness or laughter, uncontrollable laughter under the influence of the Spirit. Uh, there are things that are part of a lot of your charismatic, charismatic experiences that aren't a part of mine. But I have to tell you, Speaking in tongues, easiest thing I ever did. Have ever, I mean, it continues to be. I have never, and I, please understand me, I'm not saying that makes me more spiritual than you. I'm telling you, though, that this is not for whatever reason. Maybe you find some aspects of this thing easier than I find them. But when I was, uh, I, I was... Uh, who was the last one to get saved in our family, Cheryl? Was it me? It was me. I was last, last to the table. I, and I know I was the last one to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I knew I wanted it. And I don't know why I, I had such a hard time. I, I've shared this before, um, but it's been several years. We were going to youth group at a church that was pastored by Brother Hagin's son-in-law. And not that that means anything in the spiritual realm. I'm just saying some, there were some connections here, all right? Willie George was our youth pastor. That means something to some of you, not to everybody. And then Sandy Brown was our youth leader. And every Wednesday night, which is when youth group was, I loved, it was my favorite day of the week. I lived for youth group. Youthquake, that was the name of our, our youth meeting. And there was always an altar call for salvation. There was always an altar call for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And after we'd been going there a number of months and had made friends, my friends knew that I had never spoken in tongues, had never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they're doing what good Christian friends ought to do, encouraging me to do it. So, it but unfortunately, we weren't having conversations about it. It would just be during the altar call. Riley, come up here a second. Sit next to me. Riley's me, and I'm my spirit-filled friend. I'm Darren, or I'm Vince, or somebody, or I'm Rusty. These were real guys that I would be sitting next to. And we get to the portion where Sandy Brown or Willie George is up there saying, if you've never been filled with the Spirit, raise your hand. 
You can keep your head down, keep your eyes closed, but raise your hand if you've never been filled with the Spirit. And here's my friend doing this. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Now, you're me. you got your head down, and you're just doing this. You're not saying, no, I don't want it. You're just saying, I don't want to do this because you're urging me. This was, I don't, it was the stupidest thing. Why I couldn't humble myself, because then my friends would say, man, I'll go up there with you. No, 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 no. Then it makes it look like I can't do something on my own. And I'm just, I just want to just get this moment over with. Why was I resistant to it? Thank you, Riley. Give my demonstrator a hand. Uh, no. I just hated this moment. And yet, deep down inside, I wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons I wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit was I had heard these wonderful testimonies of how effective and how advisable it was to pray in tongues. I wanted to pray in tongues because I saw this as a valuable tool. I was being well taught about it. For some reason, I had this, I don't know, it was just some sort of phobia or some pathological fear or just some idiosyncratic response to altar calls. I had a hard time just going down there, and it was actually in a Copeland meeting at Rama. He was speaking at an evening session that was open to the public where Cheryl went down. If, I'm, if you, correct, you can just don't do anything. Just nod, and I'll, have to, I'll do the editorial corrections next week if I have to. But I think I'm right. She actually went down and answered the altar call to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'm kicking myself for not going when she did don't want to be the one running down late. So I'm just gripping my seat like, oh, oh, oh. And then he said, if you want to pray this prayer from where you are, you can be filled with the Spirit out there. So I did. I prayed that prayer under my breath, and I was so excited because when I got home and I crawled into my bed, I started praying in tongues. Now, throw no stones. I had practiced praying in tongues before that. In fact, to be honest, I was probably filled with the Spirit and praying in tongues before that. But I had never officially been baptized in the Holy Ghost. But I think that's how available it is. I think that's how easy it is. That's certainly been my experience. Now, again, there are things I struggle with that you don't struggle with. There are things you struggle with that I don't struggle with. And I've had many conversations with many sincere people, saved people, baptized in the Holy Ghost people who still struggle with their prayer language. And this is all anecdotal. We'll get to the scripture here in just a second. But it is for you. If you are a believer and baptized in this, in fact, if you're a believer, it's for you. The baptism of the Spirit is for you. If you are a believer and baptized in the Spirit, whether you have, you can. And you say, Scott, but doesn't it say right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that not everybody speaks in tongues? Yes, it does. And we will get into that, not next week, but a couple weeks from now, when we talk about the difference between the public gift of speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. Right now, let's move on. Look in Acts chapter 8. Do this quickly. Acts chapter 8. This is Philip, not the apostle, but like Stephen, uh, one of these who was uh, the first of what many call deacons, had hands laid on them just to do some of the, uh, the serving tasks to free the apostles up. Um, but he goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel, and miracles are being done through him. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick, not just some minorly sick. He's healing paralyzed people and drawing a crowd. And there was a sorcerer named Simon 
who was so amazed and so drawn to what was happening in the ministry of Philip that he is converted and baptized himself. And then he follows him around, and then we'll pick up the story here in Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, it goes on there. The next thing is Peter telling him, uh, well, the nice way of saying it is, may your money perish with you. It was actually more like to hell with you and your money. Honestly, that's really what he's saying. Uh, because he's so offended at this idea that he could, you thought you could buy the power of the Holy Spirit. And when more we understand the personality of the Holy Spirit, the deity of the Holy Spirit, the more we understand how offensive this is. You can't buy God, right? Buy God. And, but what I want you to notice here, the only reason we're bringing this up is not that, but to say that Simon saw something. He saw evidence that the Holy Spirit was given when the apostle lay, laid hands on people. Question is, what did he see? What did he experience? What, did he, what was it that presented itself to his senses that made him say, oh, wow, Holy Spirit uh, comes on these people. And I want to be able to do that. What was so obvious? Uh, in Acts 10, we have this. This is, again, we're looking at it in a different context, but Acts 10 is this tectonic shift because the preaching of the gospel uh, is taking place now in the home of a Gentile. Uh, he is led by the Spirit into the home of Cornelius. And as Peter, and he's, led, I mean, he's literally led. He has a dream saying, go. And so he goes, and he's preaching to Cornelius. And as he's preaching, look at this, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, he hasn't even gotten to the altar call yet. Hear me? The Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, just those two passages make a very strong case for tongues being the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here is the difference we have between now uh, and then. The big difference is this. We have the book of Acts, and they did not. We have the written record of what happened, and therefore an expectation of what will happen with some specifics that they did not have. Yes, it is true that Jesus did say in Mark chapter 16 that speaking in new tongues was one of the signs that would follow those who, who believed, but we don't know how much he explained to them we have 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. They did not. We have an expectation of speaking in tongues, and I see no evidence that they did other than Jesus' reference to they will speak with new tongues. And again, without the teaching. All I'm saying here is that the Holy Spirit clearly manifested himself in these cases with tongues, and it looks like it more or less took them by surprise. And the fact that it happened to them that way spontaneously, certainly took the Gentiles by surprise. 
These weren't people who were following Jesus, would not have heard Jesus utter a word about this stuff. Uh, But just because it happened to them that way doesn't mean it has to happen to us that way. And it shouldn't really if we've been reading the word. Now, in fact, let me just emphasize that. If we are reading our Bibles and taking it seriously before we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then how can tongues take us by surprise? Because we've seen it. We've seen it happen again and again in Scripture. So what was happening then was what I like to call a jump start. Some would take that too far. Some would say God did the miracles. All the gifts of the Spirit were simply to establish the apostles, establish apostolic authority, did miracles and signs through the hands of the apostles uh, because uh, we had to get the church established quickly, and that was necessary until the New Testament was written. Except we know from the Gospels that it wasn't just the apostles that performed miracles. Philip was not an apostle right there in Samaria. Now, what God the Holy Spirit did back then through those believers, he continues to do through us today. The only difference is we have a better idea of what to expect. We teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We teach on tongues and encourage those who seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit to receive him by faith and in faith speak out trusting God to give them utterance in tongues. I agree with that. But if I am on purpose speaking in tongues, trusting that God is the one who's giving me the utterance, then is it evidence in the same sense that it was to them? You see what I'm saying? Here's Peter preaching to a bunch of Gentiles, and they're saying, wow, these guys got filled with the Spirit. How do you know? Because they were speaking in tongues like we were. Peter almost certainly wasn't preaching about tongues. He wasn't telling them, now here's what to expect when the Holy Spirit falls on you. He's just trying to make his case for conversion at this point. And while he's still speaking, they began to speak in tongues. And they knew. Now, again, tongues can serve an evidentiary purpose. But if we already know that tongues is supposed to happen, then it's not the same kind of evidence. You get that? I don't want to, I don't need to, I don't want to beat this thing to death. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. It's evidence, just not in the same sense. Again, what was spontaneous and somewhat unexpected evidence in the early church is what we should expect, what should be expected and embraced in faith for us today. So here's my statement, and praise and worship team, you might as well be making your way up here. I'm sorry I didn't get as far today as I wanted to, but we'll cover a couple things here before we dismiss. Here's my statement on the evidentiary nature of tongues. You ready? In the book of Acts, they knew someone was filled with the Spirit because they spoke in tongues. Today, we know we can speak in tongues because we've been filled with the Spirit. In the book of Acts, they knew someone was filled with the Spirit because they spoke in tongues. Today, we know we can speak in tongues because we're filled with the Spirit. Stand up with me. A little bit of a teaser for when we come back to tongues, which again is probably not going to be next week. We'll see. We'll see. I love talking about this. And it's super important. Uh, But one of the things we'll see, and I think very clearly, in fact, since you have time, whatever other Bible reading program you're on, let me just encourage you since we're here, and I've done this before, spend some time reading 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 
and remind yourself as you're reading it that Paul did not sit down and say, I think now I will write chapter 12 and I will talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ. I think now I will shift away from the gifts and write chapter 13 about love and how it's superior to everything else. And now it's time for chapter 14. I'll go back and talk about the difference between prophecy and tongues and praying in tongues and these other things. No, he's writing a letter to the same people on the same topic. All of these things are super connected. And when you read it from that perspective, it's easy to see how. What we do, people talk about taking things out of perspective or out of, out of context. 1 Corinthians 13 has been lifted out of context more than any of that stuff. Which this is just about love. You know, it tells you why love is better than the gifts and why the gifts aren't important. No, it's not. It tells you how the gifts are supposed to work. But it will also show you, I'm not trying to do any power suggestion here. I remember doing with this with some youth. We had uh, youth coming regularly from other churches in town. And they would ask questions, eh, my, my pastor or my parents told me to ask you about tongues. And I would say, I will have this conversation with you if between now and next Wednesday you will read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 at least three times, and then we'll come back and talk about this. And I am not kidding you when I tell you they would come to these same conclusions on their own. And that conclusion, and here's the main one. Again, this is teaser. We'll come back and explain it more. There is a clear difference between the gift where God uses you, where the Holy Spirit uses you to bring forth a public utterance like he did Greta this morning. And when that happens, it always needs to be accompanied by interpretation. There's a difference between that and the God-given ability that I believe Scripture makes clear is given to every baptized, Holy Spirit-baptized believer to pray in an unknown tongue. If that were not true, then Paul is completely unfair saying, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. I wish that you all spoke with tongues. And when, most importantly, he says, what's the outcome? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. He doesn't say, God willing, sometimes I may be gifted to pray in the Spirit. He said, I'll do this. And you should too. So here's my invitation for you today. First of all, as we've emphasized again and again, even today, every believer in the finished work of Jesus Christ, every convert, every saved person, every born-again person, whatever you want to call it, if you are a believer, a confessing believer in Jesus Christ, uh, you, the Holy Spirit, baptism is for you. This is God's will for you. It's not a bonus. It's not like the main thing is you're saved and everything else is gravy. You want a little extra gravy? You want to be a little more excited? You want to be a little more useful? May I suggest the Holy Spirit? No, it is God's absolute will for you to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit because that's where the power for ministry comes from. But if you're not a confessing believer in Jesus Christ, you can't skip that step. Jesus said very, very clearly, the world cannot receive him. It's until you are not of this world, until you're born again that you can receive him. So let's get that taken care of first because you need Jesus. If you have not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, or if you have and you've walked away and you want to recommit, you want to restate your faith, 
Just raise your hand. You say, I, I need to be saved. I'm not... Praise the Lord. Nobody in here at this moment desires or needs to be saved. Give their heart to Christ. I'm going to pray for you here in just a minute and give you another opportunity. The other invitation is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've trusted his finished work for your salvation, but you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you've never spoken in tongues and you want to, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you too. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here in our midst, doing what you have promised to do, what only you can do, convincing and convicting the world of sin and glorifying Jesus in our midst and leading us and guiding us into all truth. You know the hearts of every man and woman in this room and everyone within the sound of my voice. If there is anyone who needs to make that decision to give their hearts, yield their lives, surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord today, pierce their hearts, and bring them to the point of surrender. They need the humility to answer this call, the wisdom to answer this call, the boldness to answer this call. And you're the only one who can give it to them. If there is a believer in this room who has trusted you for salvation, who cares about nothing other than the fact that they're heaven-bound instead of hell-bound, convince them of their need for power of a vital, indwelling relationship with you, the Holy Spirit. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you desire to be saved, you desire to be filled with the Spirit, you can raise your hand right now or you can come up here right now. I won't make you come up here if you want me to pray for you out there. That's where I was. But, but just let me know. Just raise your hand. Yeah, it's just me. I want to walk all the way up. Don't, don't. Don't be me, okay? Don't be, don't be. Praise the Lord. I know you're saved, so this is for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's just pray this. You can pray it out loud. And if you're praying this for the first time, you're just, you're exactly like I was. I needed this. I just didn't want to come up. You can receive it now. You're asking for it. But let me know before you leave, okay? Or let me know soon. Have, say, just say this with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I want to go to heaven. Yes, I want to be forgiven. But Lord, meanwhile, I want to be used. I want to be empowered. So Holy Spirit, come into my life. Fill me. I yield myself to you and your will. Fill me. Fill me to overflowing. Fill me afresh. And I, by faith, receive you and your power and your gifts and my prayer language today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, Make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.